MSW Media. Hey, this is tennis legend Andy Roddick, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, a guy who's definitely been served more times than I have. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I am Dan Dunn. You're not. But you're listening, and I like that, and I thank you for joining us on this special episode. Today, we're going to be doing craft beer, and that's not something we do a lot on this show, but I'd like to do more of it. And joining me a little bit later in the show will be David Stein. Stein, that's an aptly named thing for a guy who makes beer, because you know they put him in Steins. So David Stein makes Creature Comforts beer, and that's a brewery in Athens, Georgia. It's a small craft brewery that is making a lot of noise and they're about to expand out to Los Angeles. They're going to be building a brewery and a brew pub in downtown L.A. that's scheduled to open next summer. Hopefully that's going to happen. Going to be talking to David in just a little bit. But first, very excited to introduce our new... We just we just brought on a new East Coast Bureau Chief Beer Division. East Coast Bureau Chief Beer Division. And her name is Cece Betzel. Cece, welcome to the team. Thanks. It's a pleasure. You are a beer aficionado. I would say an expert, but you shy away from using such lofty terms as experts. But you know beer, right? You know your beer. I, I know I enjoy beer. I have a lot to learn, but yeah, sure. Okay. So we're excited to get into some beer talk with you, but I, I do want to mention to everybody that November 3rd is election day here in the United States. I just voted today. I early voted. I got a sticker on my shirt right now. Uh, CC, you've voted as well. I have. Great. Of course. Awesome. Absentee ballot though, but that's okay. That's, that's stay. The votes a vote. And so I just want to, you know, this is the part where I encourage everybody, no matter who you're voting for, get out there on November 3rd and vote for Joe Biden. All right. So that's what I want to say. I don't want to get any more political on this show than that, other than to say, get out and vote again. The, the key isn't who you're voting for. It's just that you vote, and when you vote, you vote for Joe Biden. Okay, now let's get into beer because I think beer unites us all. Whatever, left, right, red, blue, we all like beer. Everybody likes beer. Everybody likes beer, and there are different styles of beer. And because we haven't talked about beer much on this show, I kind of wanted to lay the groundwork for people that might not know about the different styles of beer. And Cece does know. So Cece, enlighten us. Us. I know everything already. You know that. But (laughs) the the listeners out there. All right. I'm going to quiz you after. Absolutely. I'm taking notes. So let's, what are the basic types of beer right off the bat? There are two basic types, right? Correct. So Beer basically falls into two main categories. You have your lagers and your ales. And the difference basically comes down to the yeast. So a lager is uh, used or 
made using bottom fermentation. So the yeast basically settles at the bottom. It's a little more more fragile, shall we say, and uh, has lower tolerance to alcohol. Uh, and then your ales use top fermentation. So that yeast settles at the top. And that's where you get a little more of those funky flavors. And then if you want to get a little more specific, you do have the spontaneous fermentation, which is just wild and crazy. And that's where you get your sours and that kind of stuff. Okay. Nice. All right. I didn't, uh, spon- could it, could a person, like how does spontaneous fermentation happen? Could you just like, is there just liquid sitting there and suddenly it just. <laughs> it's in the air. The yeast is in the, the air. yeast is in the air. Okay. <laughs> So that's the basics. Now, when we have different styles of beer, and that's what I'm, I'm going to be having different stuff. So, for instance, last night I tried some of Creature Comfort beer, and I, I had a, I had a an IPA, mm-hmm. and I had a Pilsner, and then I had a triple IPA. So, but there's a lot more out there. So, what let you know? Let's start yeah. with say, what do you want to start with a a, a, la, a Pilsner? All right. Well, let's start. Let's start with lagers. Okay. Um, which your Pilsner that you tried falls into that category. So with your lagers, you got your pale lagers, your dark lagers, um, your Pilsners, German style Bach. But I would say the most popular common beer style is the pale lager. So that's where you got all your Budweiser, Coors, that kind of light, crisp, refreshing. It's a good like kind of intro beer. Everyone, you know, has had a bud at some point, I would assume. Bud. Um, and then your Pilsners, which, yeah, I really enjoy, very European style. And that, a lot of it comes down to the water, which is 90, 95% of the beer is water. And everywhere you get water, there's different properties. So a Czech Pilsner tastes the way it does, a little more sort of bitter um, because of the water that you can find in the Czech Republic or Czechia, as it's now called. Well, I think, is it because they're peeing in the water in, in Czech Republic? Is that yeah, what it is? That yeah, that is see, a well-known, right. well-known fact. Word. The Czechs are notorious for peeing into the water sources. So that's why you get your <laughs> oh, bitterness. Please don't be offended. Uh, so that's basically your lagers. And then with the ales, uh, that's where you get your IPAs, your pale ales, an amber ale, the, the stouts and porters. So you got a little more variety of flavor there, I would say. What's th- what's thicker, a stout or a porter? A porter is usually a little more um, chocolatey, mm. and a stout is a little more like coffee style. What do you like? Are you more of a lager person? I like hoppy beers. I'm a big IPA fan, so I was looking at, I was actually looking at Creature Comforts, and they have a few hazy IPAs, which. I really like. So what what is what does that mean? Hazy IPA. It's ba- it basically you're gonna have a little bit of a like a creamier mouthfeel, shall we say? Um, it's usually got a lot more kind of like fruity tropical notes. Um, they're usually pretty high uh, alcohol. Or, well, I mean, all IPAs are. American IPA. So if you get, if you want to get into IPAs, that's a whole. So just the category itself, IPA, it means Indian pale ale. India pale ale. India pale ale. What does that mean? Um, they usually have, yeah, pretty high alcohol content. Um, if you, well, again, most, when people think about IPAs these days, they usually think about American IPAs. And, uh, so that's going to be like super hoppy, high alcohol content, Etc. English IPAs are not as hoppy or strong, but 
from my understanding, this may be an old wives' tale, but this is what I've always been told, that IPAs were invented by the English uh, when they were colonizing India because uh, the hops have a preservation. They preserve longer. So when the English were traveling to India to, um, you know, colonize. Well, they were exploring. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, they were exploring. That's what happened. You know, Treating- like just just when the Spanish were exploring Mexico, and then and when when the British were exploring North America, and then they said, you know, we've explored it, and we like it. We and think, now we're going to take. You know what? I think we'll stay, and you'll leave. Yeah, that's the nice <laughs> way. So when the when when the English were exploring India, on their way to taking it, uh, they had the IPAs. Exactly. And they found that it lasted a lot longer with all those extra hops. What about a, uh, like a Guinness? That's a stout. Uh, that's an ale. Okay. Shows you what I know. <laughs> a dark ale. Spirits, spirits is my forte. Spirits and wine. Beer is not my, again, that's probably why we haven't done many beer shows on here. I, I used to drink a lot of beer when I was younger and then I stopped drinking it and I never really got down that well of knowledge of of uh of beer so i think it's a it's a very quickly growing i mean maybe it's a little past its peak now I, well i don't know about that but craft beer has really exploded um in fact i have done some home brewing myself uh which was uh how'd that turn out quite the journey that must have been a lot of that must have been a lot of work for you home brewing it was. It was. <laughs> the key is cleanliness. Mm-hmm. You, you get um, any germs in there when you're and home. Yeah, brewing. also with L's, you've got, yeah, exactly, uh, your wheat beer. So I would say the majority of beer is made using malted barley, obviously, wheat. It's all, it's all very scientific. It's all very scientific. It. I got you. Well, this has been very illuminating. I feel like now I can go into this conversation with David Stein and feel a little bit better about about all of this. Is there anything you want to add, Cece, to to this beer discussion before we before we bring David on? I mean, I would just say drink what you like. Don't let anyone, you know, make you feel bad for liking a certain type of beer. It's the it's the great equalizer. Beer is. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. It's going to bring us all together. All right. Well, it is. It is. Uh, our new, our new East Coast bureau chief, beer division, CC Betzel. You've, you've, you've shed so much light on the subject. Well, thank you for all your hard work. Thank you. And um, now I'm thirsty, and I'm going to go get a beer. The check's in the mail, by the way, for this segment. It's coming. Oh, okay. I promise. All right, we're gonna now we're gonna happy to do. Yeah, thank you so much. We're gonna we're gonna take a very quick break and then we're gonna have uh, David Stein from Creature Comforts Beer on, and you're not gonna want to miss that because there's just a lot of just a lot of beer gonna be involved. Okay. So I'm so jealous. Has he sent you some? Oh, I've been drinking it all day. Yeah. I'm I'm what's your you I'm said, ten uh, beers I... in. <laughs> I've had a lot of them. You said the double IPA is your favorite? I like the Pilsner. I like the IPA. I, there's a bunch of them. There's a, yeah, there's a whole bunch. Well, I got to see if they, uh, they carry it anywhere in Brooklyn. I'm sure I could arrange to get you, you have some. To ask him. Yeah. Uh, okay. CZ Betzel, thanks for joining us. 
And Thank you. Uh, we'll be back with David Stein right after this quick word. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. Go to keeps.com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. Joining me now is the founder of a phenomenally successful craft brewery from Athens, Georgia. It's called Creature Comforts Brewing Company, and they just announced an expansion here to my hometown of Los Angeles. They're planning to open a new brewery and tap room next summer, 2021. We're all hoping that's going to happen right here, L.A., in the Fashion District. That's downtown. And this is going to be the first time that Creature Comforts is expanding beyond their beloved home state of Georgia. And the man making that happen is with me now, David Stein. How are you? I am good, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited, man. Anybody anybody can make beer as good as you guys make beer. Uh, I want to talk to you. You sent me, thank you, by the way, they sent me a Creature Comfort sent me a care package just full of all sorts of goodies. And I went last night to a barbecue place near here and I brought a bunch of different styles of the beer over there and had them. And boy, does that taste good with some ribs and cornbread and mac and cheese. Yeah. Typically barbecues and beer just makes good sense, doesn't it? It does. So David, let, let's talk about you. You are a, you're a Brewing beer in college, right? Yeah, that's kind of where it all began for me. I was uh, in undergrad at the University of Georgia, and uh, my roommate, uh, he knew how to make beer, and he was a home brewer, and uh, he taught me how to do it. We, you know, and I, I kind of uh, spent four years um, as a hobbyist and just really get, getting into it. It became an extreme passion of mine, uh, learning the process. Uh, doing it all at home. So I, you know, I went through phases of time where I had uh, hundreds of gallons of beer fermenting in my basement and I would, I would brew the wort on my back deck and it's a full day process. And then it takes a couple weeks to ferment. And I've got all these ice baths because you try to create, uh, control the temperature of your fermentation. And anyway, it's a, it's a really fun thing to do as a hobby at home. Plus you get free beer. Um, I was in college and that was obviously a big perk because I was, Maybe I wasn't 21 yet, so um, it was helpful for that. Do you remember, do you recall the first beer you brewed? What style of beer did you brew? I do. The first beer I did was a stout, because stouts are the easiest homebrews to make, because uh, it's just so much bold, like rich, roasty flavors, and you can kind of cover up all the all the off flavors that might happen. So, um, it, and then I was a coffee stout, and I I added way too much coffee um, into that first batch. It was, con- it was, uh, it was honestly disgusting tasting and it, but it would get you pretty jacked up. Um, okay. So it was, it's kind you, of fun. I learned. What would the I alcohol content to, yeah. be on that first beer you made about 12%? <laughs> yeah, it was about 10, probably 10 and a half percent. Where, where does it, what is the line, David? Like when does it become undrinkable? How high can the alcohol content go for beer? It's interesting. I mean, 
It, I think it, de- it depends. I think that there's 14% you can get up to there. And I would say it's, it's definitely still um, a sellable product. People enjoy it. But what happens when you get that high, you get a lot of sweetness. You have to use, you have to get a ton of sugar in there. And then um, it's just impossible to, to ferment it all away. So these high 14% stouts or, or, you know, any kind of big, you know, big barley wines typically have a good bit of residual sugar in them. So it's just a matter of taste at that point. There's been some breweries that have, have done like uh, ice distillation methods, which at that point, is it beer or what, um, to get it up to 40%, but then it seriously just tastes like a spirit. Um, so, you know, I think my sweet spot is like, for, for like a really good balance of flavor is anywhere between five and 8%. Okay. So now yeah. we'll, we'll rewind. Now you're back, you're in college, you get out of college and then sometime around, you know, 20, well, 2014 is when you launched creature comfort, creature comforts. How did that come to be? So, yeah, I was, you know, spent, uh, 2005 to 2009, um, homebrewing. And then I got a job at uh, the Brickstore Pub, which is really an amazing world-class craft beer bar in, in Atlanta. And I was serving, I was learning about beer, and I, was, I started sampling out my homebrew to pretty much everyone that walked in the door. And uh, before I knew it, there was, I had a lot of enthusiasm from people. And these are the people that come to Atlanta from other breweries, you know, people who know beer. So I really got a confidence boost when when people would, uh, you know, people I could trust would, would give me honest feedback, would tell me how, how they really enjoyed the product that I was making at home. And at that point really was when something clicked in my head as, you know, just a, a dreamer that I, I, I gave it a brand name. So I was like, instead of just me being like, Hey, you want to try my homebrew? I was like, you want to try creature comforts? The creature comforts was a name that I gave my homebrew back then as I was sampling out just to start a brand. And, and slowly kind of had an underground following. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm having events at four or five different bars and restaurants around town, um, serving creature comforts and people coming. And was there, um, was there a moment, was there a moment though, David, where maybe one particular, so, you know, obviously there's a very vibrant, uh, restaurant bar scene down there in Atlanta and, and Athens as well. Was there, was there like maybe one person, a big chef or somebody that tried your beer and you went, Oh yeah, I, they loved it. And you thought I can do this. This can be my career. Yeah. So real quick, I'm going to crack a beer and it'll, so it's a good sound bite. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll join you in this beer. I'm going to open yeah. it. Is it, uh, this is the Pilsner. Is it Bebo? B-I-B-O? Bebo. Correct. Yeah. Bebo. I'm going to crack a Bebo. Oh one, yeah. Oh yeah. That's one of my favorites. Um, cheers, man. So yeah. Yeah. Cheers. And I'm drinking, uh, Cheers. I'm drinking Athena Paradiso. This is a Berliner Weiss with passion fruit and guava. It's very, very refreshing. So, so I love I love a good Pilsner. Um, I fell in, I fell in love with Pilsner years ago with uh, Pilsner Urkel, yep. which I believe was one of the first commercially available uh, Pilsners, right from from the from Prague. Yep, exactly. There's a resurgence right now in um, in lager beer. So Pilsner, um, light lager, and a lot of craft breweries are starting to make make more of it. And a lot of craft beer uh, enthusiasts 
just start getting more into it. There was a there was a period of time where with crap brewing was a lot of heavy stuff, right? You were getting into the yeah. the box and the the you know the the stouts and the triple IPAs and all this other. And do you think that do you think that's a result of maybe people being a little bit more health conscious? Like, what is it that's driving the resurgence in lager? I think it's an uh, an evolution of 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 our palate. Um, you know, I think there was a time when craft beer was a little bit newer, you know, it's been around for decades. However, there was definitely a big spike in, in craft beer in America and, you know, somewhere around 2010 ish. And all everybody wanted was as bitter as you can and as high alcohol as you can get. And, um, that was the hot thing. But now, um, I think it's a little bit of palate fatigue, honestly. Um, you don't want that, those, those crazy flavors anymore. And, you start realizing there's a ton of beauty um, in beer when you focus on on the nuance, um, and there's a lot of beautiful flavors you can get from hops, and and really those big bold flavors co- just cover up some some beautiful things. Well, and I think it it probably speaks to why why of the wines of Bordeaux and Burgundy, the Sangioveses from Spain, why have those endured for so long? All those old world wines, the style hasn't changed. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. I think it's it's probably the best tasting. It's probably the thing that's most agreeable to people's palates. And while you want to try other stuff, I've certainly done that with beer myself where I've tried, Oh, that's really interesting, but I'm not going to sit down and what you would call a session beer, right? I'm not going to sit there and drink this chocolate coconut monstrosity. That's 9% alcohol. I'm not going to drink that all night hundred percent on any sort of regular basis. Right. That's spot on. And, um, you look, you look throughout history and, you know, especially in Europe, they drink lager, they drink Pilsner and they're, they're drinking for a different reason. They're, they're drinking for the human connection for the, to hang with their friends. Um, and it's a big part of the culinary scene there. So they, they, and when you, you, when you're eating some heavier foods, you, uh, you don't want heavier beer and you want lower alcohol so that you can drink more for longer and not get too hammered. I mean, everyone ends up, you know, you'll get hammered after a certain point of, if you drink a 12 pack of any beer, but, um, I think it's just, it allows you to enjoy it more and, um, it's less filling too, you know, when you mentioned Europe, so obviously yeah. you were, you were at the brick store pub in, mm. in Georgia, but then you also did a little apprenticeship over in Scotland at Brewdog, which is a very famous Scottish brewery. You can talk a little bit about that and how that in, informed your, your beer making. Yeah, definitely. So as I was evolving, um, you know, from the brick store when I was, you know, I was networking and cr- doing my homebrew thing. And then I really was, I hit a point where I was like, I got to take the next step. And in 2010, there wasn't a lot of craft breweries out there relative to now. And it was really hard to find a job um, for um, so, as somebody that didn't have any professional experience. And uh, got really fortunate. I applied for a the apprenticeship position at Brewdog where, you know, I, I paid my way and they put me up and, and where is and Brewdog there exactly? for a couple months. And where is it exactly in Scotland? So they're in, uh, yeah. So right now they're, I think in close to Aberdeen and, um, it's Northern Scotland. But when I was there, they were in a, a town called Fraserborough, which is, um, almost as North of Scotland as you can get. It was a pretty dreadful place. Very cold and miserable like way up in the way up in the highland way up in the highlands yeah and i think this was actually like on the east so like 
it wasn't like beautiful at all. You weren't on the water. Was, uh, you didn't get any of that. Yeah. I mean, because I'll say this, that. that one the furthest place I've ever been in Scotland is Orkney, the island up there mm-hmm. where Highland Park is. Did you ever get the chance to go up there? I didn't, no. And, you know, I just got into scotch when I was there. So I got a bottle of Ardbeg behind me. Oh, and, you the know, I love <laughs> It's weird. I used to hate PD Scotch and just, I think just from hanging in these bars with these Scottish folks and drinking it in their environment and them telling me, you got to drink this one. I was like, I fell in love with it. It was crazy. I used to, you know, that, um, you know, the band, it's almost like band aid kind of tasting. It has this kind of crazy smoky flavor from the peat moss. And, um, I learned to love it. So now I, I drink Ardbeg. Did the influence, do you find that any of the scotch influence works its way into the beers that you're making? In a, in a, in a subtle way, I think, you know, we do a, an amber ale that, it, that we age it on some French oak spirals. And that really, the inspiration for that beer was, was like a deconstructed rye whiskey. So, you know, there's a lot of crossover with amber ale and certain maltier beers and the flavors you get from whiskey. Um, you know, it's, it's malty. They're made from, you know, obviously the, the whiskey is made from a mash. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everybody needs to understand that every spirit starts off as beer. Okay. Right. You know, that's exactly. people need to understand that that's how that works. And then obviously it undergo from there, it, it undergoes distillation and, and, and processes you're not getting with beer, but it, in its, in its origin, we're talking about malt, we're talking about barley where, you know, it, it's, it's the same thing. Exactly. And I love how we keep, we keep uh, bringing up these questions, and then never, I never finish my train of thought until we're, you know, we're talking about the next. <laughs> that's because we're that's because we're drinking, David. We're drinking exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with Brewdog, um, I really learned. Um, I learned what just like I was in a big production facility, and even though I didn't really know what I was doing, I was helping. I was apprenticing, but you see the flow. You you watch people. You see the energy. You understand like okay, all the equipment. And these, the trucks are showing up to pick up the beer. And, you know, so really the whole process, even though it has similarities to home brewing, it's just, it's different equipment. It's a much, it's a whole different operation than, get, than your backyard, obviously. So that was huge for me, which is getting like a visual experience and just being in a brewery for two months. Um, was huge. And they offered me a job to stay. Um, you know, I just wasn't feeling, um, North that area of Northern Scotland. It was not, I'm a, I'm a Georgia boy. Sure. <laughs> I don't like cold. Couldn't weather. be any more different than where you're from. Yeah. And it worked out well. I, I got back right when I got back is when things kind of started coming together for me. I was, uh, introduced to a group of investors, um, uh, very well-known chef in, in Atlanta, who's, one of my early supporters who can helped you, me. Can you say who that is? Oh yeah. His name's Ryan Smith. And okay. he, uh, he's the, uh, chef owner of staple house, which is an amazing restaurant in Atlanta. And uh, he's a tremendous per- chef and a ma- great friend. And he, uh, he helped me out. He, he introduced me through him. Hugh Atchison was, he was working for Hugh. Atchison well, I thought you were going to say Hugh. Cause I know Hugh. He's a friend. He's been okay. on, he's been on the show before. And, uh, okay, perfect. Yeah, Hugh's a big part of the story too because the, this group of investors here in Athens, um, I was living in Atlanta at the time, but they wanted to put a brewery in this in this amazing building where we are in downtown Athens. 
And they reached out to Hugh because his he's from Athens. He has his restaurant five and ten here. Um, <clears throat> and then Hugh reached out to Ryan, who was his head chef at Empire State South at the, at that time in Atlanta. Ryan became good friends with him at the Brickstore Pub. Next thing you know, I'm meeting with these investors, uh, introducing myself as David Stein from Creature Comforts Brewing Company with cell sheets, and I bottled a ton of beer and put labels on them and everything. So I presented myself as, as if I was a, you know, I have an existing brand and, um, and, you know, as I was, um, as I was legit, I mean, I told them I wasn't, I told them I was still a home brewer, but I was like, look, this is the beer I make. This is the, this, uh, this concept I'm working on. And, and they were like, they loved it. They loved the beer. They loved the brand. And I was extremely confident that I can be resourceful enough and partner with the right people, which I did to, to, to go pro. And, um, shortly after I signed paperwork with the investors, it took us about three years until we were actually open. So I got a head brewer job at a, at a brew pub in Atlanta called Twain's. Um, after Mark Twain, it's Twain's, uh, brew pub and billiards. Um, and I was the head brewer for a year and that's really where I learned how to contract hops. Cause that's tremendous, uh, you know, something that is, is critical to beer is, is hops. It's one of the, the main ingredients, but it's an agricultural thing. So you have to contract and you, it's a, it's a whole thing. So I learned how to do that. I learned how to order ingredients from all the vendors and build a production schedule and make, make beer for a demand and make sure I was keeping track of everything and the processes and how to clean tanks. So it was a good stepping stone. When you um, mentioned the hops, I always hear these stories about these guys that go on these pilgrimages to go find these yeah. hops that are, have you done anything like that where you've gone to the far ends of the world because you heard about this, this hops that's being you know made in Sweden or Switzerland or something And you're Have you ever done something like that? I was extremely fortunate to go to Australia in March and um, I was, I was on a two week trip and uh, for hop, what we call hop selection. So essentially we, we go during harvest and harvest is once a year and for hops. And we, um, we go and select the hops that we want to use. And once you, you contract a certain amount, you can select these acres, these, these plots that have the characteristics that you like. And so I got to go to Australia and it was, the, the trip was cut short. It was, um, it was like, yeah, March thirteenth was when oh, the world so co- turned, COVID turned, COVID shut it. Yeah, yeah shut COVID it down. times. I was uh, I was about to get on a plane to Tasmania, which they grow hops in uh, Victoria and then Tasmania. So I was literally a step through um, the gate, and I was like, I can't do this. Things I can't get trapped in Australia right now. And I went home. Um, that was an unfortunate, but I still I had an amazing week. And we, we use a lot of Australian hops and especially in Tropicalia, which is our flagship IPA galaxy is, is one of the primary hops. So, yeah, I, this is one of the things about creature comfort. So you, all your beers are getting great ratings. I went online. I looked at a lot of the reviews. People, mm-hmm. people love them. So you've got your year round offerings. You just mentioned the Tropicalia. Is that, a, is that mm-hmm. a seasonal or is that a year round? That's a year round. Yeah, okay. we have, uh, we have, uh, Tropicalia. We have Automatic, which is a pale ale. We have Bebo, which you're drinking. This is our Pilsner. We have Classic City Lager, which is um, a lighter. Yeah. By the way, I had that last night with the with the Memphis ribs. Oh, perfect man! What yeah. a perfect match. Yeah. 
<laughs> yep, that's the beer I, I drink the most of. It's you know four point two percent. Just really, we call it good cold beer. But then Simple. you got you got some like this. Like I'm here looking at this one, which looks great. I yeah. haven't tried to get the Glamour Muscles, the yeah. triple IPA. So that's a that's exactly. a that's a seasonal thing, right? That's a that's what we would call a limited release. So we have um, you know our year rounds, which always available. They go out to distribution, and then we have these brewery only beers, which are brewed in a very you know smaller scale, uh, brewery only for the most part. And that's where we innovate creatively. Um, we can take risks. We can explore different styles. And uh, so Glamour Muscles is a triple IPA that we made. Uh, it's about 10% alcohol and extremely hoppy, but also very balanced. So it's a fun style to make, um, not too bitter and really, really tasty and kind of a fun label. We, oh, yeah, Imperial Trapes. So that was a fun one too, because Tropicali is our flagship and it's, um, it's what we call a bright beer. It's not hazy. Um, it's, you know, it's crystal clear and Imperial Trapes is essentially a hazy double IPA using the same hops as Tropicalia is, as, as you probably heard, hazy, hazy beers is, is, are quite popular right now. Who, who's doing your labels? Cause you got, I mean, I think that's important too. I mean, your labels really pop. Who's doing those yeah. for you? Um, we do them in, in house. So I'm, I'm, you know, I wear many hats. One of them is, uh, I manage our artists. So, um, I've been doing our branding and, and creative, uh, since we opened and, so I, we have two graphic designers uh, full time and a photo video guy, and so we we do it all. And how important how important is that, David? Do you think having a label that really grabs people's attention? I mean, is that do you, does that work in the in the craft beer? Because look, I, I I've seen a lot. Most craft beers have cool labels, but yeah. do you find yourself looking at other brands and going, okay, what are they doing over here? All right, I got to try this. And yeah, hundred percent. It's it's become a huge differentiator now that there's eight thousand plus breweries. Uh, when we opened in 2014, it was it was something that breweries were starting to focus on more. It was an observation of mine. I'm very uh, I have a very uh, judgmental eye when it comes to branding and packaging and the way that packages make me feel. Um, I think it's so critical. So uh, you see with wine and other um, things, how they do pay attention to that. And then with beer, it was just a lot of very dated, almost like, you know, almost like MS paint, like, you know, just really. Um, and then now, uh, and, and I'm not saying we started it, there was a, several other breweries that were starting to focus on the design of the label. And what we found was, was how tremendous like the Tropicalia can design was and some of the other ones we do. And now it's huge. People, gravitate to it and get excited about it and you could take beautiful photos pops on the shelf i think it's it's huge man i think it's it's tremendous let's talk now about california california has sort of been one of the standard bearers for the craft brewing movement right a lot of the a lot of the early uh that are now well-established beers where craft with the same thing you were doing in Athens was happening out here, right? Hundred percent. Any of those that you would say that have been were inspiration for you? Yeah, all across the board. California is the mecca, you know, uh, for craft beer in America. And for me, um, you know, this is I'm not limited to these breweries, but you know, Sierra Nevada, old school, but they're still so relevant. 
and they're still killing it. And that's huge. They, you know, I think they started in the eighties and they're just amazing. And they do so much uh, work for the industry. They put a ton of money into research and they're helping everybody out and leading the way still. Um, let's see at Firestone Walker and Paso Robles, they do amazing stuff and they, they, you know, they do a lot of wide distribution, but then they do insane uh, limited release and barrel aged beers and their brewmaster is incredible um, and good friend. And then, and then you go down to like a lot of breweries in LA that we've become friends with. And part of the reason why we're, why we wanted to go to LA and why we were spending so much time there was our friends at Highland park and, uh, modern times, Angel city. Isn't that here too? Or yeah, Angel city and, and San uh, Diego and San Diego has a a bunch of them too. A bunch of big ones. Was it arrogant bastard is down there? Is that yes? Stone. Yeah. Stone. Yeah. Yes. San Diego's like, within california it's like they you know i don't know san diego seems like it, that's the like the the craft beer city within uh and la you know L, for the for the population it's it's surprising you know it doesn't have um nearly the like kind of brewery breweries per capita as san diego or the culture but it's there um and and we've become really good friends with a lot of good good brewers out there and i can't wait to get out there and and uh, be amongst um, some of the some of our you know heroes and some of the best, and it's 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 a little intimidating, but um, you know we're here in Georgia, and it's just for me, it's such a cool move and a big monumental time in my career and our and our brewery to just be like we're going to California, we're going to where it all started, and going to start something up, and hopefully we'll be successful. And if we do, that's that's a huge accomplishment. If you know, for us. Well, how did it, how did it come, come to be? Was it, did you just look at the map and go, we're going to go there? Or was there any other circumstances that played into the move to Los Angeles in particular? Yeah, it was a couple of things. Um, we were look, we're looking at how to grow. And one of our ways in which we wanted to grow is to, to kind of plant breweries in, in other cities. And, um, you know, a lot of breweries grow through distribution. And so they will be like, you know, we have a, we have our Athens, Georgia brewery, and then we sell all that beer to, you know, to all the states from there. Um, that model is not working quite as well. A lot of the breweries who are focused on wide distribution are competing with local breweries that make amazing beer. So what we wanted to do is figure out how can we, how can we remain local and grow? So planting breweries made good sense for us and figuring out a way to do that in, a, in an authentic way. And this is our first one. So we, we were looking into, uh, we were doing some data analysis on which, what, what city should we go to? Um, and, and LA happened to be for, you know, we had our own, uh, you know, parameters that we were looking into and LA was in the top three. So it was, it was on our radar. Um, and we loved going out there and had all these relationships with brewers. And then this is where it all got really cool and kind of serendipitous was when uh, we got an email from Joe Russo's assistant. And Joe's a director and he, him and his brother. Aven- Anthony, Avengers, right? Yeah, exactly. They did uh, a couple of the Captain Americas and they did Infinity War and Endgame. And they filmed, um, they were filming Infinity War and Endgame in Atlanta. Um, they're doing a lot of filming in Atlanta right now. And the, uh, the people on set while they're filming the movie were bringing Tropicalia on, you know, on set. And when they would get off work, everybody was drinking Tropicalia 
And Joe noticed it. He was like, what the hell? What's going on with this beer? And he tried it. He, he told us, he said, I, I stopped drinking beer. He's like too many calories. He's was just like, I'm not a beer drinker anymore. I used to love it. But then he started drinking Tropicalia and now he's a beer drinker again. And <laughs> something about it, like, yeah, he just noticed like, you know, he's a, he's an artist, he's a director, he's an entrepreneur. So when he notices a brand or, you know, some, a product that is, that is making such an impact on people, it doesn't go unnoticed for him. So it, it, to the point where, and this is just, he's a kind, very kind man. And he reached out to us and invited us onto set. He wanted to meet us. He took us out to dinner and he was just really cool. And he's a very down earth, amazing guy. And he just wanted to get to know us and wanted to learn more about our, who we are and our, our brand. And, and then, um, you know, long story short, he gave us a shout, um, a little bit later and he was, uh, he had a, he opened up a, a film company called Agba, a production company. And, uh, his offices are in the fashion district and in the downstairs of the building where his offices are, there's a perfect space for a brewery. So he reached out to us and he's like, Hey man, Hey guys, y'all want to open up a creature comforts here in LA? right under my office. <laughs> so he, <laughs> so talking about, he doesn't yeah. want to, well, he knew COVID was up. So it's a pain in the ass to go to the grocery store. So mm-hmm. I'll just have the brewery right underneath my office. So I don't have to go. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. We'll pipe a, a tap, <laughs> just, tap line, right? up. <laughs> you get desk. one of those, those, those tubes that they had at the bank. Yeah. You just put that right up. Yeah. Go up to Joe. Just, yeah, Joe, get, Joe needs an IPA. And by the way, just, everybody's listening out there. Uh, you, you keep, you keep hearing Davis keeps talking about Tropicalia. That isn't that is an IPA, uh, six point six percent ABV. Uh, it's very fruit forward IPA, right? Correct. And yeah, the all the fruit character comes from the hops, which hops are cool. They you get tons of fruit character um, and citrus and pine from all these different hop varieties. So yeah, we we definitely were going for much more of a a hoppy fruit forward. Uh, IPA versus a bitter IPA, which is a little more West Coast, and and that was what was more common at the time. Um, well, this Bebo, this Bebo, by the way, this yeah. is this is exactly the kind of Pilsner I like. It's 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 crisp and dry. It's not yeah. there's not you know sometimes you get a little bit of a sweetness in it. Not with this one. This is this is the kind yeah. I like. And and honestly, this does kind of remind me of Pilsner Urkel in a way. Yeah. Well, we, that is primarily Saz hops in there. And that's, that's, the, is that what they're the using? Czech, that's what they're using. It's the, yeah. it's the Czech hop, you know, so Pilsner or Cal, I don't know a hundred percent, but I mean, I would put all my money on the fact that they're using Saz hops in that beer. So yeah, that what we were going for was a very content, continental noble, which is what kind of you call those old school hop varieties that are more earthy, perfect for Pilsners. And, um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's what we were going for. It's definitely more of a a, a Czech German style a traditional pilsner. And that classic city lager, as I said, I had that. I mean, just a really easy drinking beer. What's your yeah. What's your alcohol uh, ABV on that one? That's four point two. Okay, yeah. and that one's much less uh, like hoppy. So pilsners have have a bitter bite to it. You know, they got they got some flavor to it. Um, and and uh, but you know, if you compare. Uh, a Pilsner Kell to uh, a Miller High Life, you know, the difference in flavor to where, so that's almost the difference in flavor that we're kind of going for between 
Bebo and Klaus Seelager. Not to compare either of our beers to those beers, but well, let me ask you that. You a, let me ask you yeah. that, David. I'll throw out I'll throw out a couple of big name beers, and you tell me what you think of them. I mean, not not to shit on them or anything, but I mean, like mm-hmm. I don't I like a good Miller High Life every once in a while. What do you think of a Miller High Life? I love it. It's funny. Okay. I uh, I'll drink I'll drink a High Life many times, but what I prefer over a High Life lately is either a Modelo or a Corona. Corona is weirdly. Uh, it's like my. Uh, well, you're my coming. To, you're coming to California, brother. You better get used to drinking yeah. Corona because you're going to see a lot more of that out here than probably than you're seeing it. in Georgia. How about a Budweiser? Yeah, you drink a Budweiser. Budweiser. Budweiser's fine, honestly. Budweiser's a touch sweet for me, like you were saying. You get you get some of those uh, some of those beers that just finish a little bit sweet. Um, I'll drink a Budweiser anytime though. If somebody hands me somebody hands me a beer like a Budweiser, I'll drink it. Um, I wouldn't order it over a over a like I'd rather order a, a high life. So how about one of the original yeah. craft beers, Sam Adams? Yeah. Sam Adams, I love Sam Adams as what for what they've done for the industry and they they do a lot for craft beer, but I never drink their beer. I don't know. It's nothing against them. I I, I can't remember, so it's hard to I just can't speak to it because I haven't had one in so long. And then you see some of these ones that are coming up like Goose Island, you know, yep. I, I could see that sort of success happening for you guys. You know, I, I didn't hear about Goose Island and then all of a sudden they were everywhere. Yeah. The issue with Goose Island for me is that they were bought by AB InBev and maybe uh-huh. I shouldn't care. Maybe I, you know, it's, it's a weird thing when a brewery, when a craft in the independent craft brewery gets purchased, acquired by AB or Miller it's a weird vibe and it's most other industries you you build a successful company and you sell it it's it's celebrated that's that's the american dream right and then in all the, but with craft beer um a lot of your consumers will uh will shun you if you do that all right i'm going to throw out two beers and you tell me mm-hmm. of the two which one you would prefer to drink we'll just go through it ready mm-hmm. paps blue ribbon or keystone light pbr okay. for sure all right uh, how about a Modelo or a Corona? Corona all day. Okay. I love the skunkiness. All right. Coors Light or Bud Light? Ooh, that's kind of a toss up, but let's just go with Coors Light because they have that cool ca- blue can that changes color. And finally, Heineken or Stella? Ooh, let's go with, can I, ch- can I choose Peroni? <laughs> yeah, I love a good uh, Peroni. I want to say this too. though. I do I do like Heineken. Yeah, Heineken's fine. I think it's because when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I'm, a kid, I'm talking about a teenager. So when I, yeah. you know, not like I, I was only slightly underage. That was kind of the first now again, I'm I'm older, so there were no like Heineken was like that was the that was the best beer you could have. You know, you're getting a Heineken, oh, yeah. you're doing this. And then I remember, I guess I don't know if you call it a craft beer, but it was sort of an exotic thing. I'm growing up in I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, right? So mm-hmm. we had, well, for instance, Schlitz was there. I remember that the Schlitz Brewery was in Philadelphia. Um, they had one there. I, I don't think maybe they're originally from Milwaukee, but uh, but I remember trying uh, Moosehead. Remember yeah. Moosehead? That was a that was from Canada. That was a fancy beer. You got Moosehead. So funny because back then, like those were just um, those were just big breweries, kind of branding. I think they were just 
kind of wanted you to think it was fancy and different, but it was probably no different than a Budweiser, you know? It probably wasn't. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, look, those, those beers are gonna, you know, they're gonna keep you going. I mean, they're keeping the beer business going, right? And then you, uh, I, I, yeah. well, you know, obviously where I'm from, the other big one was Yingling. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is the oldest brewery in in the country, I, I think believe, so. right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, in in Philly, it's just lager. If you if yeah. you order a lager, you're getting a Yangling, right? But I mean, there's that one would... that talks about that was just purely local when I was young, and now they've kind of blown up. Oh yeah, they're huge now, um, and I love it. I think you know it's still like family owned. I think um, they are. You know, I I respect a lot of these big companies do good work and. They give a lot back. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of like weird layers to the, to the craft versus macro uh, conversation. And, um, you know, it's like, we just don't want to be bullied around. We're, we're independent craft breweries that are just trying to, to succeed and be passionate about what we want to do. And so we just look at the big guys and say, don't, don't fuck with us. Like, you know, just let us do our thing and don't, you know, don't start making distribution and pricing. I mean, there's just all this crazy shit that they've tried. All right, to but pull somewhere to in the dark recesses of your brain, do you ever have that idea that looking forward ten years and one of the big boys comes to you and says, "Hey, we're going to throw you two hundred million dollars for your beer." It's you know, of course, it's it's crossed my mind. Uh, and then you look at <laughs> Ballast, then you look at Ballast Point, and they sold for one billion dollars. You know, so. It's like, what is that number? It'd be, you know, it'd be hard to say no to a billion dollars, right? But you know, would I say yes to to two hundred million for our company in ten years? I, I don't know. Um, you know, for me, it's 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 I, I'm extremely passionate about what we've created, and I care a lot about it. And you know, at at that point, it becomes um, it becomes more of a personal thing. Like, where do where do I want to be with my personal wealth? in 10 years and it depends on it depends on how fucking la you get when you move here yeah because if you if you become too la and they're like somebody offers you a billion dollars you might be like yeah you know what that's a courtside at the lakers and i can get a house in beverly yeah all right i'll take a billion dollars no i i i hope you don't i hope uh that you stay at the helm of this thing for for a long time yeah it's not you know it's not the only way i think it's not the only way to to be to be successful to become financially um you know where, where you want to be. So we'll see. Uh, we, I will say we have, we have no plans to, to sell. To sell yeah, anytime soon. D- so, David, yeah, where do, so. where do people find the beer? I mean, can you get it outside yeah. of Georgia right now? Not yet. So we, we've done a good job of staying, you know, as close to home as possible. You know, the local aspect of craft beer is so important. So we, we, we produce, we're next year, we're going to be producing over 70,000 barrels. So we're, you know, we're definitely in the top a hundred breweries as far as like, size and amount of liquid we make um but we're one of i mean we might be like in the top three as far as you know how much beer we sell within the least amount of states so it's a shitload of beer to sell in one state and uh anyway the only place you can get our beer uh is in georgia and until until next summer until next summer yeah and then, we, and then you then just LA. go to joe russo's production offices and knock on the door and say hey joe oh no i'm downstairs downstairs yeah. all right yeah don't yeah, yeah. don't go upstairs they don't want you up there well listen man this has been i i've enjoyed talking with you and i've enjoyed drinking the beer it the beer is it's creature comforts brewing company uh david stein 
joining us from Athens, Georgia. If you're in Georgia, throw your mask on, get in there and, and try some of the beer. And then next summer in Los Angeles, I hope to be tipping one back with you in person, my friend. I look forward to it, man. I'll visit you on Venice beach. And, um, you know, if there was, if there was a time machine, I think my one, the one thing I would choose to do would be go back in time and hang out with you and Hunter S. Thompson, man. I was reading, <laughs> a, reading about your life and man, it sounds yeah. like you've had a, you've had a cool life, my friend. It's been all right, man. The Hunter, the Hunter days, uh, Jesus, how long has it been now? Gee, it's been dead 15 years. It's crazy. Yeah. 15 years. Yes, we, we definitely had. And by the way, there was one of the, that was one of the, speaking of Hunter, so Flying Dog. So Flying Dog started in Aspen. The very first party, so Ralph Stedman, Ralph Stedman is the artist who illustrated Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a lot of other Hunter stuff. Ralph did the labels for, and I, I have a bottle somewhere in a box somewhere. I have one of yeah. the original bottles from the original case and the, the label said, Good beer, no shit, which never, I don't think ever actually made it to the final version. I don't, they wouldn't approve that, right? Like the TTB would approve that. But the original labels that they printed up on that first kid said, good beer, no shit. Ralph did the yeah. labels and Ralph signed the bottle for me. And I have that bottle of beer somewhere in my, in a box somewhere. That bottle is sitting from the original case of Flying Dog and, uh, cool. I'll find it when you get out here, man, I will find it. And it's not yeah. open by the way. This is an unopened bottle. I don't know. How, how long does beer last? Uh, don't even open it, man. Yeah. That's, just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Beer. Yeah. That's one of those things you just keep it closed. Um, but yeah, we'll go on a, tr we'll go on a treasure hunt. Try to find that, that photo of Hunter that you, that you didn't take from his kitchen. Right. That <laughs> you heard that story. Huh? Um, yeah. yeah, that was the, the picture of him, him and John Belushi. Um, and when you get out here, there's a bar of friends of mine own called Lono, which is named after the curse of Lono. And it's right yeah. at Hollywood and Highland area up there. And they've got a ton of Hunter memorabilia. So when you get out cool. I will, and everything opens back up again, we'll be sure to go there and we'll have some drinks. And uh, in the meantime, my friend, I wish you the best of luck. The beer Thank is you. fantastic. Creature Comforts. Everybody go check it out online. Can only get it in Georgia now, but trust me on this. It's coming your way sooner rather than yeah. later. So, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate so much. Thank you, David.